Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu slash business. The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is E-Conversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to E-Conversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Hulu recently debuted a television series based on the New York Times 1619 project, which suggested that colonial Virginia in 1619 was where slavery began in the Americas. Slavery was a horrible evil in human society, but it has been widely examined by historians, and the historical reality is that slavery did not begin in the Americas some 400 years ago. The sad truth is that slavery was a part of human society for a very long time, and in societies across the globe. It's only been in the past 200 years or so that slavery was eradicated. And it was also during that time that standards of living have taken off in what economic historian Deirdre McCloskey refers to as the great enrichment. What lessons does the history of slavery offer for today? Joining me on eConversations to discuss this is economic historian Lawrence Reed. Mr. Reed served as the president of the Foundation for, of Econo for Economic Education for many years an outstanding organization dedicated to educating people about how a market op economy operates. And it's one that the Johnson Center has partnered with on several projects over the years. Prior to joining FEE, Larry was a professor of economics at Northwood University in Michigan and president of the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, which is also located in Michigan. Welcome back to the show, Larry. Hey, thank you for having me, Dan. I appreciate it very much. Well, you've written several uh, pieces for, for Fee recently, uh, talk about some of the, this history of slavery, and you know, we're, we're going to get into some of that, but I, I think we were, before we get into some of the details, I, I think we want to touch on why, you know, why is it so important that, that we have this uh, perspective on, uh, I guess, uh, slavery in human history and not just slavery in the United States? Slavery, uh, Dan, is um, a very unfortunate blot on the human experience, but it is by no means unique to this country. And so uh, those who seem to have an agenda sometimes to uh, uh, attack America uh, often don't want you to know or they neglect to mention that slavery is an age-old institution, mm -hmm. uh, that if America is exceptional uh, on this matter at all, it may be for what we did to get rid of it but not uh, exceptional because we had it. It goes back to ancient times. Uh, most of the people, in fact, who have ever lived on this planet have either been slaves or lived uh, as near slaves or near serfs no. in constant subjection to uh, whoever happened to be in power. Uh, so it's a common experience, but although it can never be excused or justified, it is by no means exceptional to this country. And so let's just start there. Like in, in 1619, it turns out actually slavery as imposed by Europeans was already existing in the Americas because the Spanish had gotten to had gotten established in the Americas a little bit before that. And 
And they had brought slavery with them, haven't they? That's right. The, the Spanish brought slaves nearly a century uh, before the 1619 uh, experience at Jamestown. Uh, and uh, so they, they brought slaves to multiple places in the Americas, uh, almost a century before 1619. And before the Spanish got here, there, there, we have pretty good evidence now that uh, many of the indigenous peoples of, of uh, America had slavery. They didn't always necessarily call it slavery. I know it's oftentimes uh, in, in the history referred to as captives sometimes uh, a, a, as opposed to slaves, but it, it clearly you know, things that we would recognize it as uh, human bondage, right? Yes, uh, the Aztecs, the Mayans in Central America, they had slaves. Uh, some of the tribes of Native Americans uh, engaged in slavery. And uh, a, long a long time before 1619, uh, this is, again, uh, uh, an age-old institution. Uh, what we really ought to be thinking about today is uh, the remarkable transformation that the world underwent from centuries of slavery being common to, in just the last 150 years or so, being uh, uh, exceedingly rare by comparison. Yeah, and you know, and even if we want to think about the uh, the slave trade and, and the enslaving of Africans, uh, the United States, or what is now the United States, isn't the only place that that uh, African slaves were sent to. In fact, the statistics show that many more Africans were taken to uh, Brazil in, in the New World than uh, to the uh, the British colonies in North America. That's right. And the treatment of slaves in Brazil uh, for much of that experience uh, was considerably more brutal than it was uh, ever in America. It's estimated that about 11 million black Africans uh, were forced to make the journey in slave ships to the Americas. But about 14 million black Africans made uh, similar, though shorter journeys from Africa to Muslim controlled countries uh, in the Arab regions of the world. So. Again, it isn't a unique to uh, America. It isn't unique to uh, people of a particular faith or color. It's a ubiquitous institution in history that uh, we only recently have finally begun to shake off. Yeah, and you know, and as you also mentioned, uh, the, certainly uh, you know, in, in the uh, Euro in Europe before they started importing slaves from other parts of the, the world, we had slavery in, in Europe as some Europeans were enslaved by others, and certainly there, we know that back in ancient Greece there was slavery, and, and Aristotle wrote about it, and so forth, right? Oh, that's exactly right, and often it originated in uh, warfare, mm -hmm. that uh, people were enslaved after they were first conquered, and in those days, uh, the color of uh, skin didn't matter at all. Uh, if if Ro ancient Rome or ancient Greece uh, went off to conquer somebody, uh, they didn't care what color they were. If they, uh, if they defeated them, they often enslaved uh, right. uh, the, the defeated peoples. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it was only relatively late in slavery that it started to take on this racial or, or racist dimension. Uh, and, and that was in part because we started to see uh, the emergence of a global slave trade. And I think, you, as you were describing it at one point, well, you know, we go back a thousand years, people were poor enough, you just enslaved whoever was nearby you. You, you, didn't, you, you weren't going to travel around the world to, to enslave people. You, you simply conquered uh, the, the foe next door and, and enslaved the, the survivors. That's right. 
but with the coming of uh, ocean-going vessels that could cross the Atlantic in a matter of a few weeks, uh, it certainly made uh, slavery uh, a, a more of an opportunity for uh, the most unscrupulous among us who thought that, hey, I can uh, capture some people, make some deals with native uh, Africans to uh, uh, capture uh, or, or buy uh, other black Africans and take them on a ship and uh, sell them at auction in places like Grenada or Jamaica mm -hmm. or other islands in the Caribbean. Now, one thing that's I, I found interesting, and I think uh, this was from the work of, of Thomas Saul, was, was that uh, in uh, North America, it was one of the few places, because uh, the United States ended the slave trade, uh, the international slave trade, I think in 1807, or, or fairly soon after yes. the, the founding of our, our nation, we, we ended the slave trade. But the slave population in the United States continued to be stable and actually grow uh, through natural uh, reproduction. And that itself was a bit of a, a oddity, a, a rare case, because for instance, in Brazil, you mentioned how uh, brutal slavery was there, and, and they can you know, they had to import many more slaves because my understanding is that the slavery there was so brutal they were killing their slaves off so frequently they had to keep importing new ones to replace the the ones that died. Yeah, that's right. Again, you can't uh, justify or excuse slavery in any form anywhere. But I'll tell you, if uh, if I was a slave and I could have chosen where I wanted to end up. Uh, I would, uh, and if I knew the facts that Thomas Sowell has uh, uh, uncovered, I would choose America over Brazil because yep. uh, we, generally speaking, uh, uh, engaged in better treatment. As cruel as it often was, it was right. still frequently better than in Brazil. Yeah, and uh, to, to one extent, uh, I guess Brazil never got called out or for its mistreatment of slaves, in, in part because unlike the United States, it never made any kind of pretensions or, or any allusions to uh, being uh, to that, that everybody was free and equal. Uh, and, and so the, 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 the very callous and mistreatment uh, that happened in Brazil simply didn't generate the same kind of outrage or as internal condemnation because of the inconsistency. That's right. It was the words of the Declaration of Independence that put America on a path of sooner or later recognizing the hypocrisy of yeah. proclaiming the equality of all peoples, but then practicing slavery. Now, many of our founders knew that. Mm -hmm. Many of our founders uh, were opposed to slavery. And if they thought they could end it and still keep uh, the colonies together in one new nation, uh, they'd have done it. But uh, uh, it was a compromise, uh, actually, right. with the slave, slave colonies uh, to not end it immediately. But the words of the Declaration surely put it on a path. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people even knew at that moment that that would end it one way or the other sooner or later. Right. And, and then, you know, I mean, I guess the one thing that was sort of exceptional about the United States in our experience with slavery compared to other places in the world, because eventually you know, slavery has uh, died out, it was, was ended across the, the globe. Uh, we fought this massive civil war in, in part uh, to, to end slavery. And it wasn't the only factor that was involved, but certainly it was an important factor. And, and, and that was a very calamitous and cataclysmic for our, our, our nation at the time, uh, a civil war with massive loss of life on both sides. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but ideas of freedom and free markets were spreading uh, throughout the world in the 19th century, becoming ever more solidified uh, in uh, uh, all corners of America, too. 
So slavery, uh, the clock was ticking. If it hadn't been ended by uh, uh, the Civil War and the subsequent adoptions of constitutional amendments pertaining to it, um, it uh, would not have lasted all that much longer. Can you imagine today? Think of all the, um, uh, the black Americans that we know who are so amazing, amazingly productive. If all of a sudden we made slaves of them, uh, how, would, how productive would they be? Right. I mean, so th what the, I'm suggesting is that, the, uh, that slavery could not in the long run compete with the productivity and the efficiency of free labor. Uh, so, I mean, it's a terrible shame it wasn't ended long before it was, but it was on the way out. And it's hard to imagine that, that, that uh, it could ever come back. And, yeah, and I, I certainly hope that's true. I think, you know, because I think we have made a, a significant moral progress a, a, as a species, I, I think, over time. And I think, you know, a part of that is, the, the I guess, not long before we, uh, saw slavery die out was the uh, rise of liberalism in, in sort of the classical sense. And, and uh, uh, one of the foundational elements of that is the equality of, of all. And like, yes, you're, you're right that, you know, that there was the inconsistency for America's founders. Jefferson wrote those uh, compelling words in the Declaration of Independence, although at the same time he owned slaves. And, and so yeah. it, there, there was a, this uh, tension but you know, I think it was also, I think, pretty clear. Like once you start to recognize the principle that others are your moral equal, and yeah. in, in, in particular, then you know, I guess the, the first thing we were saying that the colonists were trying to say the king's no better than the rest of us. So why why do we have to yeah. listen to the king? But once you start to recognize that, yeah, everybody's a, a moral equal of each other. That that principle is a hard one to contain. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, when you look at most progress in almost any field of uh, human uh, endeavor, uh, you don't get instant, dramatic, uh, you know, 180 degree turns uh, very often. You usually get a gradual uh, change as mm -hmm. people's ideas shift. And then you look back later and say, wow, can you believe we did it that way at one time? Yeah. Uh, uh, and yet a lot of people uh, want to blame America for slavery, uh, which, again, is untenable, not only because it wasn't exceptional uh, to us, but uh, also because uh, it's taking today's uh, conventional wisdom and judging people of the past by those standards instead of the, uh, the context in which they labored. I mean, it would be like saying to the Wright brothers, if you could go back in time, uh, hey, what's the matter with you guys? You've got this rickety old machine here. You call it a plane, but there's no in-flight Wi-Fi. There's no in-flight meals. I mean, you're not even serving wine in first class. I mean, it, they gave us a huge step in the right direction, but it takes time for progress to, uh, to blossom. And I think that that's, I mean, that's a good point because I, mean, I think you know, a lot of times in economics, when studying economics, one of the things we emphasize is the role of discovery and, and you know, all of the economic knowledge we have has to be discovered. But I think it also becomes very easy to, once you've discovered something or once we've made moral progress, to look back and say, why, wasn't, why didn't you all know that back then? And it's very, yeah. very hard to realize that it, it took a long time to learn these things. And, and you know, very easy to think, Oh, how could you ever have not have known that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm very interested in a, a very current issue, and that is uh, school choice. 
And I'm convinced that someday when we have given parents so much more choice than they have now uh, to send their children to the best and safest schools that they want to, we'll shake our heads and say, can you imagine that uh, our forefathers actually passed laws that said uh, you've got to go to the school with it that you're assigned to, the government school within your uh, zip code? Uh, we'll shake our heads and say, you know, what made us ever think that that would produce uh, the best educational opportunities? So even we today, uh, if we may want to get on our moral high horses and proclaim that, you know, we're better than previous generations, but uh, maybe future generations will say that same thing about us. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. You know, and I think it is right. And anyone who's likely, anyone who wants to condemn those in the past should remember there are things we're doing today that we're likely going to be condemned for in the future. And, you know, I think you've got to ask, I think we should all ask ourselves the question, like, you know, are we bad people because of what we might, somebody in the future might look back and say, you were doing that and that was like so bad. How, how did you not know that? Yeah, yeah. We are imperfect people. All of us. Yeah. Everybody who's ever lived is imperfect. But you'd like to think that uh, with each generation, uh, we learn some things and we pass on uh, good values and so that the next generation uh, can um, progress and be better off. But uh, they should always, those future generations should always be grateful that there was somebody along the way who helped push things in the right direction, even though we weren't perfect in the process. No. One of the elements of, of the 1619 Project, one of the essays in the 1619 Project, or, or uh, pushed a, a rather com, uh, controversial uh, story uh, line about the, the role of slavery in helping to uh, make America rich. Because as, as we said, you know, the relative, it's relatively recent in human history that we've had prosperity. Uh, and, and so that I think that was one of the more controversial parts of, of the, the 1619 Project, the essay by uh, Matthew Desmond that was arguing that that uh, slavery helped found America's uh, wealth and, and is, is somehow responsible for America's wealth today. And if we start to get into this, as we said, like if slavery's been so common in human history and prosperity is relative is a new thing, then you know the, the, you sort of have an issue here of like if slavery was going to make societies rich, how come human humanity wasn't rich long before the uh, even the United States came along? That's right. Yeah, slavery didn't make America rich. It made a small number of people rich, mm -hmm. namely slave owners and those perhaps who uh, were uh, closest to them. But it made society as a whole poorer than it would otherwise have been. Uh, just think of the productivity that we didn't see from people uh, who might have been great inventors or entrepreneurs, but were enslaved. Uh, slavery is never good for society as a whole, but it might be good for the ruler, it might be good for the owner, but that's, uh, it, it's a mistake to conflate that with the good of society as a whole. It isn't. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, and what I find so sad about the, the, the narrative that this is perhaps slavery made America or rich was that it's really been, I, I think, the, the fact that human beings have learned have come to the conclusion that well we need to trop, stop trying to command each other or enslave each other and we need to deal with each other as equals which 
if you deal with the, if you consider each other to be equals, then the way you deal with it, the way you should interact with each other is through exchange. And that, that gets us to the, the fundamentals of a, a market economy. And it's, it's when people exchange that you, you see prosperity take off. Because as you suggest, I think it allows all parties, all parties to start to use their, their uh, true human uh, characteristics of intelligence and, and uh, creativity to, to be able to come up with ways to do things better. Exactly. Nobody, no human being, will be more productive if somebody else is cracking the whip and uh, telling him what to do at every turn than he would be if he could pursue his own dreams, his ambitions, put his talents to the best possible uses as he sees them. Uh, I mean, there's just no difference between uh, freedom and slavery in terms of the output of the people. Prisons may be a good place to punch out license plates, as mm -hmm. uh, prisoners do in some states, but it's not a place where you can expect somebody to invent uh, a new watch, uh, a new iPhone, or you know, uh, you fill in the blank. Uh, that's not where innovations and productivity excels. Just the most menial tasks can be done under um, uh, the terms of slavery, and yet, and then you lose out on all the wonderful things free people might have produced. Yeah, because I mean, I think you know. As you look at the, the plantation system that we had in, in the, the uh, American South, as much wealth as that appeared to be creating, and I think there's some question about how much wealth was actually being created, if the, the uh, landowners were hiring the, the, the people who were working for them as free, uh, free individuals, I mean, I, I think they would have ended up being much wealthier simply because as free individuals, as we've been talking about, they would likely have been contributing to Im improving the, the whole uh, planting process and, and dozens of other uh, innovations that, that would have occurred. Yeah, and really that ought to be self-evident from our observations about humans and human nature. And how uh, are we made? Are we made as robots to be programmed by somebody else? No. Are we all the same from one person to another? Therefore, if we just had the right mastermind in charge, they, he or she could tell us what to do? No, we are unique in, uh, creatures, each and every one of us. And that should suggest powerfully that we need freedom, everybody, because uh, you can't be yourself, you can't be the unique person uh, that you are unless you have considerable uh, power over your choices, your destiny. Uh, otherwise, you're not living your life. Somebody else is living their life through you. Um, that ought to be one of the most fundamental assertions of human nature, of sociology, mm -hmm. uh, that comes out of uh, every American classroom. I mean, we are made to be free, not to be slaves. Yeah, because I mean, I think in many ways, you know, like I, and I remember reading the, the inspiring story of, of Harriet Tubman, and like even like try to imagine like what what. It, would have been to be born as a slave, but you know you yeah. see her inspiring story there, and you see there's something inside of her that at a very young age seemed to click and realize like I'm not going to be anybody's slave, and, yeah. and and once you know once she recognized that, once she came to that, then nobody was going to be able to productively hold her in, in, in chains and get any uh, productive work out of her. She was she freed herself, even though then she actually did literally free herself by, by escaping. But you know, yes. it, it was the, the freeing of herself that occurred in her, in her mind first that then led her to, to uh, seek her freedom.
That's right. And what makes her all the more remarkable are really a couple things. One, once she gained her freedom by escaping, she didn't just say, well, I'm done. I'll just do my thing now. She was committed to the freedom of others yeah. and took uh, many great risks uh, to help others uh, from enslaved states uh, to come to freedom in the North or into Canada. Uh, and the other reason I love the Tubman story, and this is a part of her that most people don't know, you know, she had a, a problem from an early age as a slave with uh, frequent migraines and blurry vision. And that it stemmed from uh, uh, someone on the plantation hitting her. Uh, I think it was the slave foreman, perhaps. Um, well, when she was in her 70s, she had an operation. This is, you know, long after she gained her freedom. She had a brain uh, operation and refused anesthesia. And she lived for another 15 years uh, with those problems largely resolved. And she was still occasionally speaking. And she would say things like, uh, yeah, they took the top of my head off and fiddled around in there and put the top back on. Now I feel just fine. <laughs> I mean, talk about a unique and tough lady. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if there are just endless stories like that of, of people who blossom when they're free. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, don't go very far when they're slaves. And then I, I think, you know, from a society standpoint, I mean, the only, the only way you can keep people in slavery is in some ways to make sure that they don't recognize their full humanity. Because once they do, then like, you know, in, in the case of, of Ms. Tubman, I mean, you're not going to be able to, to keep them as slaves anymore. And, and like that, that's just so, such a waste of potential when you're, you, you have to have a system in place to keep people from, you know, becoming everything they could be. And, 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 I, right. I, and I suppose in, in retrospect, it's probably not surprising then that, that humanity remained poor for so long when, you know, when those in charge, not just uh, with slaves, but there were serfs and other forms of, of bondage or subjugation of, of humans and, and, and trying to keep that in place by keeping people from recognizing, the, the people you're trying to keep subjugated from recognizing just how wonderful and, and, and special they are, and so then they also can't contribute economically. Yeah, for those very reasons, uh, it was the case in most, if not all, of the old slave states that um, educating slaves was made illegal, mm -hmm. that uh, you could be yeah. fined uh, for educating a slave because they didn't want the slaves to learn enough to realize that they were in slavery. It didn't have to be that way and that they had mm -hmm. uh, rights just like everybody else do. You know, I believe I also remember reading that there, there were restrictions on even like uh, teaching the, the you know, having the slaves read the Bible or, or spreading Christianity to the slaves, although if spread informally, but uh, in terms of uh, limits on uh, any church figures trying to go in and uh, uh, talk to the slaves or for some of these same reasons. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, uh, it would be wrong to think of the old slave states as monolithic, that, you know, every non-slave favored slavery. No, many people didn't uh, and uh, paid the price, uh, went to jail because they were caught educating black people who were slaves. Uh, so there were a lot of people who, uh, uh, who were against it and worked against it uh, long before we finally got rid of it. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I think one last way to sort of have a perspective on this is that, in some sense, this is a great 
triumph for humanity that we did manage to, in a relatively short, you know, in terms of the, the long span of human history, a relatively short period of time, we managed to get rid of slavery. And you know, it was probably about a 100-year span there where slavery was legal everywhere, and then uh, within 100 years, it's gone. And, and like in this whole span of thousands of years of human history, that's just a, a, bat, a wink of an eye, uh, almost. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, it was, a, in one sense, also a lot longer than you might have hoped it to happen. But man, it also happened relatively uh, 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 amazingly short period of time. And I think you know, liberalism is a big part of that story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations in 1776. Uh, and he opened our eyes to the importance of uh, free people and how they uh, don't need a, a, a wise guy at the top to tell them how to make an economy run, that free people are, can be amazingly productive. And uh, increasingly, people came to th see the wisdom in that. And so in the span of about 100 years, we went from slavery being the accepted norm, yeah. being ubiquitous around the world, to being uh, on the run everywhere and abolished in most places. It still exists today, mm -hmm. but the number of countries that don't uh, uh, that uh, allow it or look the other way is is a very small one indeed. And just one last thing to close with here is like uh, Thomas Sowell makes the point that it was only sort of like in America that that they started having some defenses of slavery because throughout so much of human history it was thought like. You, there's nothing you even have to defend. It's just nature. Yeah, yeah. Looking back on that, it was uh, we could take it as a sign that slavery was uh, on its way out. That so many people had to found it. Uh, uh, they felt compelled to come up with arguments to defend it, which, as you point out, they didn't yeah. have to do before. Well, thanks so, so much, Larry, for coming on and talk about this with us. And thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversations. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business.